The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. We are coming to you live 3 p.m. Eastern time as we do every single Monday. Upon further review, we'll get a chance to put our final stamp on the week that was, in this case, week three. And we'll start to turn the page to the week four storylines that have our attention. Uh, A lot to get to, but we're going to begin with uh, a an interesting note, which I think sparked some bigger discussion, some dis- some topics that we were tossing around on the group chat as well. The note is that there are three teams at the top of the AP rankings who combined have made up a lot of the non-Alabama college football playoff spots, teams that we thought were going to be top five going into the season and maybe even just sort of carving out their own spot in the top five with Alabama and Georgia. Clemson, Oklahoma and Ohio State all won in in week three. Congratulations. They all dropped in the new AP poll after said wins. Uh, For Clemson, it came after defeating Georgia Tech narrowly in a uh, double lightning delay situation, down three spots to number nine. Ohio State dropped one spot after a very slow start, uh, sparked an eventual win against Tulsa. They dropped from number nine to number 10. And Oklahoma, after being way closer than anyone expected as a 22.5-point favorite, uh, found itself in a one-score game against Nebraska. They dropped from number three to number four. Oregon taking over the new number three spot um, after beating Stony Brook. So Alabama won, Georgia two. Oregon at three, Oklahoma four, Iowa five, Penn State with the big mover at six, Texas A&M hanging tight at seven, Cincinnati hanging tight at eight, and then Clemson and Ohio State, as we just mentioned. So clearly there is a lot of um, confidence that is just that is being lost in Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. Stock prices are down. <laughs> of, of the three, are we at a buy low situation? Is there any one of these three that you feel – like you can get ahead of the market and say, no, let's not let's not quit on this team just yet. There's there's one little note you left out though. And it, it goes to the fact of how like these rankings are based on our own preseason expectations more than what we've seen. Like you mentioned, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma all won and dropped. Florida lost and stayed still mm-hmm. because it surpassed expectations, whereas everybody thought Oklahoma, Ohio State, and Clemson would look better than they have. Therefore, we have to drop them below teams that You know, I guess there are definitely arguments to be made to be ranked ahead of them, but are they just because they're overperforming what we expected, we inflate them. So it's just, it's always fun with these polls early in the season. (laughs) But there's something wrong with each of these teams, right? I mean, we've got, we can go with uh, Ohio State's defense. We could go with Clemson's offense. um, And then for Oklahoma, I guess quarterback. I I don't know where we're, where we pinpointing uh, all of our issues here. And do you think that they're fixable? I think yeah. they are fixable. Okay. Um, if I look at that game, Nebraska-Oklahoma, I, I think Oklahoma should have won by more, um, to be honest, just based on, on how it was played. Success rate-wise, they were a lot better 
on a down to down basis. Nebraska did get, you know, some breaks in that game, but also Oklahoma got some. I just think Oklahoma is a little bit better than they showed. To me, I think their defense has improved. I'm also not a huge Nebraska hater here. But the one thing that really stands out to me is the lack of explosive passes. Uh, and as you guys know, Tom is sort of a Spencer Rattler uh, short seller. He, he's just not buying at that price. I am short selling the entire class of 2019 quarterbacks. Like, I just let's plant our flag in this right now. This year's draft, all these guys who come out after just three years, I don't want them on my NFL team. Like, this is not the level of talent that we had in the 2018 you know, uh, signing class or the 2020 signing class. 2019, not very good. Um, Rattler was the number one kid in that class. I don't think he would have been the number one quarterback in other years, personally. Uh, and I wonder if some of the hype on him is based on him being the number one QB recruit, which he was the best one out of that group, but that group just wasn't it in my opinion, at the time, and still I'm not seeing it a ton. Um, if they can get some explosive pass plays fixed, which I think they will, it's Lincoln Riley. If I'm like, hey, guys, the fix is for them to hit more explosive pass plays, I have a hard time thinking they won't do that. And they they did run the ball pretty effectively in this game. Teams will have to start respecting the run, even if they just drop everybody like Nebraska did. Um, I think they can fix it. Yeah, I have my own, like, explosive metric that's different from like what you find in SP plus and other rankings. It's, it's pretty much the same, but it's got some other things I put in there, just wrinkles of my own right now to go to what you're saying, but in passing explosiveness, Oklahoma, Oklahoma ranks 117th nationally. Mm. <laughs> that's a problem. And that's, I mean, I don't know if it's just the plays that they're running, if it's Rattler, if it's the receivers. I'm not 100% sure what it is, but there are a whole lot of like underneath crossing routes that are going for like, you know, six, seven yards, that kind of stuff. There aren't as many big plays as we're typically used to seeing from Oklahoma, not as many deep shots, not as much yak as we've seen from Oklahoma receivers in recent years. And that's why these games are closer than we're used to seeing, because those were the plays that Oklahoma usually uses to pull away from teams. But now they're having to put together these really long drives. And it's like they're almost becoming this very weird kind of possession passing team where it's like they're controlling the clock with their passing game. And it's kind of confusing. Of all these teams, you know who I'm buying? I'm buying Ohio State. I can get them the cheapest as far as odds to win the national championship. Yes. And I think they have the least amount of concern or easiest fix for what ails them. You did notice Kerry Combs no longer calling the defensive plays on the defensive side of the ball for the Buckeyes. They're trying new things. So you would expect them to struggle somewhat, to have some guys out of position, to maybe have some missed assignments. The longer the season goes on, they can iron those out. They still have all that talent on the offensive side of the ball. C.J. Stroud has been pretty good. He's been you know, a couple, couple opportunities he's missed on or made a couple less than stellar throws, but they can carry. The offense can still carry this defense much like they've done until they get things figured out. And by the way, they play Penn State, who looks like a much better opponent at home. They do have to go to Indiana, but that doesn't look like an insurmountable task now. They do have to go to Nebraska, win that one. Michigan State home, and in the last game of the year in Ann Arbor, like as good as Michigan's looked, I hope it's a great game. I'd still say right now, give me Ohio State. So of all these issues that you could fix and which one are the easiest you know, fixable, uh, I would say it's the Buckeyes for sure. Of all yeah. of them, though, like I keep hearing like, oh, and I'm guilty of this too. Wide open season. Oh my goodness, this is going to be the greatest college football season we've seen. Like, do you really want to go out and pick somebody else from the Big 12? Do you really want to pick somebody else from the Big 10? Do you really want to say that Florida or Georgia is going to knock off Alabama? I'm not ready to go there just yet. So I've, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, uh, to your point, do you want to pick somebody else from Big 12? I bet Oklahoma minus 165 to win the Big 12 in the preseason. The current price is minus 225. Yeah, <laughs> Oklahoma's odds to win the Big Twelve. Oklahoma's odds to win the Big Twelve have gotten substantially better mm -hmm. since since the preseason because Iowa State surprised they didn't actually take another step from the most magical season they've ever had. Right, TCU looks a little bit vulnerable. Oklahoma State can't throw a forward pass. Kansas State's not going to do it with Will Howard at QB, even though they played better than I thought. That like who else in the Big Twelve? If you really like West Virginia, um, well, Oklahoma's defense. Yeah. Uh, and see, I feel like Texas can win that game. I don't no, think Texas don't trust can them. win all the rest of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
couple of things that uh, else that stand out for me in that game. Nebraska's touchdown drives were short, right? Like they they averaged, I think, 55 yards. Oklahoma had to go a long way with their touchdown drives. They were always pinned back in, the, in their own, you know, their, their own end, which was tough. I just Oklahoma made that really nice pick with the one hand, but I felt like the other than that, they we were their secondary didn't play all that well, but the front got after Nebraska all day. I mean, 10 tackles for loss, but they have five sacks, another four hurries. Um, that defensive line for Oklahoma is eating. I, I, I do, this is weird to say, but I, I trust Oklahoma's defensive lines. Are fans being fans, or is there some angle where entertaining a change at quarterback for Ohio State is a conversation that you would want to have? There's no need to change the QB. Okay. CJ Stroud has not been the problem for Ohio State. He's playing perfectly fine. He's playing just as good as anybody behind him is going to play. Now, I wish C.J. Stroud would maybe offer a little bit more in the run game, so maybe if you feel like there's a guy who can do that for you, consider it. But Ohio State's problem has not been offensive. It's been defensively. They haven't been able to get the ball. They haven't been able to get off the field often enough. They haven't created enough chaos. They haven't created enough tackles for loss or pressure on opposing quarterbacks. It's the same situation. And until that changes, they're going to be stuck in close games because it's going to be kind of like a Big 12 shootout. I know that they had a slower game. They didn't have a high-scoring game offensively against Tulsa, but we've seen Tulsa do that to everybody since the start of last season. They're kind of a pain in the butt defensively. And, you know, Dan, your bud, you were mentioning the odds on Oklahoma. Like right now, Ohio State's 12-1 to to win the national title at Caesars. That's a lot of value because <laughs> I still think they're the best team in the Big Ten, and I still think they're probably going to get to the playoffs. So uh, of these teams, I feel like Clemson is the one I have the most concern about, but there's the ACC factor where it's like I don't – like I feel like they'd be somewhat mediocre for Clemson and still get through this ACC. Do you think that getting through this ACC – Still has Clemson as like being the twelfth best team in the country. Yeah. So like eleven and eleven and one, Clemson shows up against North Carolina or Virginia Tech in Charlotte, wins by seventeen points. Twelve and one ACC champion, and we don't know how many losses everyone else is going to have or what the picture looks like, but it's going to be very easy for the college football playoff selection committee which has gotten very comfortable and likes to stick to its routines. Do you, I think it'll have a hard time keeping that Clemson team out of the college football playoff. I also think that this Clemson offense is going to improve. I mean, they've been bad. I don't think that number one concern, which might not be fixable offensive line. They're not deep. They have to run the same five guys out there and they've got to go and hold up for 60 minutes. They don't have enough competitive depth. They are not healthy enough along the offensive line at this moment that they can get the kind of subs in there where those guys are not getting worn down. And when they get worn down, that means that DJ starts seeing a lot more pressure and DJ Uyunglele has not played well. That said, because I have seen the ceiling of what DJ Uyunglele can do, albeit with a deeper uh, offensive line and more experienced wide receivers. I just, I'm not ready to totally sell stock very specifically in Clemson offensive coordinator, Tony Elliott, who was targeted for sec head coaching jobs in recent years. And I think is being challenged right now. Uh, if he's, I think he's probably challenging himself and it sure seems as much with the way he's been talking to the media, but I, I just think that this is going to be a position where like little old Clemson gets to lean on its campy little songs and it's patchy on the back, coach you up, love them up type ways. And I think that they're going to be a better team by the end of the year. I think that that offense, again, competitive depth along the offensive line, I don't know if you can fix, but I think the offensive effectiveness as a whole is something that can be fixed. Can we go back what to the What they lose to Georgia second. by? What they lose to Georgia by? By Seven. a pick six. Yeah. By a pick six. And do we think Georgia's good? I don't think Georgia's offense was any good in that game, though. Like based on who right, was out I don't there. either. Yeah. But like, if you need a resume boost, that's it. I mean, I think maybe we've we did our our totals, our win totals on Clemson. I think all of us took under, right? From eleven, yeah, because yeah. we all were like, we can't pick the game, even if they beat Georgia. There's still that there there there's that's what if that was their dud because they're good for one a year. Clemson is every single year. Maybe it just came a little bit earlier. That being said, I have more issues about the offense because I haven't loved the offensive scheme at Clemson for the past five years, even when Jeff Ooh. Scott was calling him solo. 
Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence bailed out a lot of subpar play calling with their extreme athleticism. And this was my concern about DJ was that he wasn't as mobile as those two guys. And I think you're starting to see his unwillingness to run in the run game, sometimes called runs, sometimes scrambles starting to impact this offense. So now you're going to have to see Tony Elliott and the offensive staff adjust to a quarterback who's not as mobile is not right now processing as fast as those quarterbacks were, and it's starting to show up on the field. Now, the good news is they have all season long to fix it, you know, like, and they can probably go out there and win gross and have horrible performances, but there's not a test on this on the calendar until the ACC championship game. And even that looks like, all right, is it going to be North Carolina again? It feels like they're back in the driver's seat. They put up a lot of offensive firepower, but I just feel like Clemson's still going to be there in the end of the season in that conversation, but man, how long before Dabo goes off? If he hasn't already on the, the ACC isn't as bad as everybody thinks this is college football. Everybody's going to go out and win every single week. Like we're about to get one of those when people start asking, well, what's, what's wrong with you guys? What's wrong? He's going to get tired of it. And maybe the team does too. And they start to respond, but they have not looked the part up to this point. So the one thing I want to say on Stroud, by the way, is he did admit in the post game that he has a shoulder thing going on which could have something to do with his willingness to, to run. run. If the shoulder gets worse, that's about the only reason I could really see them making a quarterback change. Um, Tulsa played them basically like Arkansas played Old Miss last year. They just dropped everybody and said, all right, run it on us if you can. And that's kind of how I think I would play Ohio State if I had Tulsa's personnel. Uh, and if I had personnel like a lot of the Big Ten teams uh, that Ohio State will face. Not that I'm saying the Big Ten is Tulsa quality, but you guys get my point here. Yeah. Ohio State is offensively right now, they kind of live off haymakers. And so if you're preventing that explosive play over the top, you are challenging Stroud and those guys to be more precise. And he can throw the haymaker. They can get open deep against most defenses. But they gave Travion Henderson the ball a bunch of times, and that worked out great for them, obviously. But that's what <laughs> Tulsa was kind of daring them to do. Uh they just they weren't able to hit hit the ball over the top on Tulsa uh, in basically how how Ohio State played it or how Tulsa played it. I, I'm interested to see how how do better teams play them going forward though. Okay, so let's take those. We got a little bit of Clemson, a little bit of Oklahoma, a little bit of Ohio State. Um, let's for the purposes of this next question, I want to group Alabama in there too because those are the big four in terms of the college football playoff. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma, who have accounted for 20 of the 28 spots in the college football playoff so far in its seven-year existence. Out of Throw those four out. Is Georgia just the easiest? Or let's just let's, let's go ahead and get them rolling. Um, who would you put money on to win the national championship after three weeks? From a value perspective, or who do you think wins? I think you got to say, let's start with who do you think wins? Not not like looking for the dark horse where it could break that way. I want to go with likelihood first. Where I, I mean, maybe you don't think Georgia's likely. Maybe you think that Oregon is more likely than Georgia when it comes to winning the national championship. I think that that's what we're looking for. Let's take those big four out and say, all right, we're, who can win the national title if it's not coming from that group? I think Georgia's the most likely and Oregon's the best value. Mm. I think Georgia's easily the most likely from that group. Um, anybody want to put any value on the Gators from what we saw? No, no, because no, because I, I, you don't think they can beat Georgia? No, I, well, if Georgia doesn't, if Georgia doesn't get some guys back on offense, yes. Um, you know, I, that was I, a fast no, that was a really fast no. I'm because I I watched that that game this morning and I just do not believe that Florida can bend the edge on Georgia, uh, like it did on Alabama. Alabama lost setting the edge this weekend. Alabama's linebackers played poorly, and they didn't play very physical. I, I usually never see Bama linebackers try to jump around blocks like that. And Bama's young defensive front, uh, they didn't win the battle up front against Florida. That's a group that I still think will win the national title if I had to pick one team because I think they'll mature. I think they'll get some guys back, and I, I think in Tuscaloosa they have a pretty good track record of figuring stuff out. Um, but I don't think Florida can do to Georgia's defense what it did to Bama's defense. It's a whole different level of guy up front they have right now in terms of talent and experience, I think. I know everyone uses their own uh, 
own favorite stats for offense and defense, but just to keep it real dumbed down in terms of yards per play allowed and yards per play, Alabama ranks number 50 on offense and number 58 on defense against the schedule that includes uh, like my, I mean, Miami and Florida, but still it's also uh, something that I, you can look at that and understand that, those are numbers that do back up the idea that this Alabama team has a lot of room to grow. But like you mentioned, bud, I'm, I kind of feel like this is one of those like, yeah, they'll figure it out because that's, that's what they do. They improve over time. And this, uh, this has been what Nick Saban was yelling about. We thought it was rat poison, but he was like, no guys, like we're not great. We could, we could lose to Florida. He's been, uh, he's been pointing it out the entire time, Georgia, Oregon, no one else. Penn state. Penn State, if they keep improving, could. Yeah. Um, I I would have Penn State over Oregon as far as teams that I think actually could get into a playoff and win it. I don't think either of them will. Oregon has the better path, uh, but I Oregon deserves credit for going out that going in the horseshoe and beating Ohio State. Ohio State also deserves a lot of blame for how they played defense that day. I mean, it was just the same wide open thing over and over again. They did not react to some of that, that those short side looks and, and the, their, their reactions to those three R one sets were just ridiculous over and over again. Um, I, I, I still think Oregon will lose once or twice in Pac-12 play. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's, I think Penn State's a good call because I do think that they've looked really good in every game that they've played. I think Sean Clifford has been, he's improved. Like Mike Yersich has clearly been good for Sean Clifford because he's making better throws. He's making throws that he didn't really make last year in that offense. And they're kind of asking of more from him too. They're like allowing him to make those throws. And it was like, I feel like last year there really wasn't much faith in him. The offensive line has been terrific pass blocking and giving him the time to make those throws. I still think they struggle running the ball and that could be a problem for him against like a, a better defense, but no Penn state, man, it's, that's a really good football team. Like we all had high, like, We've, I've been saying for the last year and a half, two years, you know, I says Penn State's the quarterback away. I still don't think they have an elite quarterback, but I think their quarterback has improved enough to make them in a year like this where teams are kind of looking a little shaky to start the season. They have to be up there. Like, where are they, fourth in the AP poll? I don't think anybody, of any one of us had them being that high this quickly in the season, but I don't think any of us are going to argue against it either. I mean, look, does Auburn have a better secondary than anybody they'll face in the Big Ten? I think so. <laughs> the way Ohio State's playing right now, yeah. And they still went 28 of 32, and one of those yeah. incompletes was a Hail Mary before the half that got picked. I mean, so Michigan has not played a passing offense yet. And they no. won't this weekend either because they play Rutgers. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm i curious. Like that's Michigan is that team, right, that they're surging up there. We're not going to mention them to win the national championship in this conversation, but um, in terms of like teams that I have like over-adjusted on and just uh, really changed my expectations for – the Wolverines are easy, easy for us to jump on this because it's Michigan and it's like, you know, the Jim Harbaugh, you know, redemption. If he can get the Wolverines to the top of the Big Ten, like there's a lot of talk that makes it easy to lean into this narrative. But I also see it in um, the way that they've jumped up in the CBS Sports 130, the way that they've been soaring uh, in the AP rankings, power ratings across the board seem to be liking Michigan more and more. But I, I would pick Penn State over Michigan if I have to have a non-Ohio. If I have to make a non-Ohio State national title pick, I'm going Penn State ahead of Michigan. I think Danny nailed it last week. I, I think Michigan is very much looking like the Harbaugh Stanford teams, but probably with more talented receiver than those teams had. Yep. Um, nobody so, wants yeah. to take a, a flyer on the uh, second best team in the SEC West. Arkansas. Arkansas. No. No. <laughs> that may be. Although. Ole Miss, they got a week off to Tuscaloosa. Like, take your flyer now. Take it now before it just – they win that game. Those odds are going to dramatically change. Watch out. So, I would rather have a Matt Corral Heisman ticket than an Ole Miss Heisman favorite, by the way. Ticket. Yes. Like yes that, I would concur with that. That is the safer it, play. It's like the Texas thing, right, where I do think that Ole Miss can beat Alabama and my dummy normie – you know, take is going to be like, it will happen. I'll money line sprinkle it. I'll take the rebels and the points and then I'll end up getting burned. But I, um, I think that Ole Miss is more likely to win that game than it is to also be able to avoid an upset in all the rest of its games. What do you think the line will be on that game? It's not out yet. Is it because the buy 
on Alabama and Ole Miss. Ole Miss. I would guess Where's the game at? 14. In Tuscaloosa. Uh, probably Bama 12 and a half. So less than it was against Florida. Yeah. But, but tighter I mean, line at home. That's interesting. I was, I was just curious to see what you guys thought it would be. Well, but I think if Bama played Florida again this weekend, they would not be laying two touchdowns, right? Like right. Your, your rankings have to adjust what we saw in the swamp. I also wonder, like that two-lane game was so weird. Uh, we've seen some games with some of these CUSA teams. Man, UAB. Hey, Tulane's in the American now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excuse me. In the American. All right. Some of these non-conference games. Did Tulane look like they cared to be there at all? Like they were so many just wide ass open guys. Oh, don't forget the lightning delay too. Okay, right. For Ole Miss. Crazy. Like the UCF Boise game week one, Georgia Tech Clemson, Ole Miss Tulane. They had to go and sit on their hands on their phones for like hours before they finally got out there. We need to figure out like the live betting lightning delay principle. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, Ole Miss wanted to be there. Matt Corral was like, this is how I'm going to like launch, become the Heisman favorite. Seven touchdowns, 700 yards of offense, and 41 first downs. <laughs> it's like, let's go. Weather's clear. Time for Matt Corral to make himself some money. He By the came. way, on the Razorbacks, uh, they had two starting offensive, offensive linemen leave that game Saturday and mm. did not return. So uh, Dalton Wagner and Ricky Stromberg – uh, important guys if you're going to face that Texas A&M defensive line. And they mm-hmm. get Georgia the week after. So uh, the Cinderella slipper could be could be doing that. Texas A&M's weeks. offensive line is banged up. Yeah, but yeah. see, the that's news- why you have a, a Bryles team tempo-wise and the total of 48. <laughs> I mean, I, I think both sides are like, can we actually block these guys? Because tempo-wise, it, it's, it's a dead over. The good news for me, though, is if those guys are out and Arkansas loses those games, I could still make the argument that the only reason Arkansas lost those games is because they were missing 40% of their offensive line, and they're still the second-best team in the SEC West. So (laughs) everything's coming up me. (laughs) Coming up on the other side, it's time for Upon Further Review, which will be some of our first chance to hear from, uh, from Bud and DK on important issues from Week 3, put a bow on it, and turn the page to Week 4, and... Looking at the potential path to the college football playoff, are you buying into what's happening at Cincinnati, BYU, Coastal, a spotlight on the group of five? Next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Three words were actually mentioned in the live chat, uh, youtube.com slash cover three, as we were doing our instant reaction on Saturday night. And it was not upon further review or where is Danny, where is Bud. It was three words that we hadn't heard in quite some time. We got an order for Danny, Knowles to go. We got an order for Danny, Knowles to go. So we've got to bring back the Knowles to go. Everyone in the chat was like, we need our Seminoles update after the Wake Forest win against Florida State. Um, I know that we sometimes have to drag y'all here in a time where you don't want to talk about Florida State football. But before we turn the page on week three, Mm. we've got to hear from Danny Cannell and Bud Elliott on where this Florida State team is and uh, what the takeaways are moving forward uh, following the Demon Deacons win. I thought last year was going to be Mike Norvell's biggest coaching challenge of his career. I think it's going to be this year. Like, I think his biggest challenge is going to be two things. 
one, keeping this team invested to get effort every single week. And then it's also at the same time maintaining his recruiting class and keep them from bailing on a program, which looks like it's coming apart at the seams. And then I feel like my job from the outside is to try to keep everybody from jumping off the Mike Norvell ship. And it's way too early to try to do that. But I've already seen, you know, some dissension out there from fans. What are we going to change? It has been said. It has been said. I've seen that out there. You know, I think Booger said it on the ABC set. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, could we just slow down a little bit? We do not want to be having, you know, we do not want a rotating door of coaches going through Tallahassee. We can't afford it. It's not great for the program. Every time you do that, you set it back. I just think we we massively overvalued the Notre Dame performance. And it was a great performance. But I'll go back to what I told you guys. I went and watched this team scrimmage, and I looked around. And I was like, where are all the guys? Where are the difference makers? Where is my first-round talent on the defensive side of the ball? Where is my big receiver that just dominates that you can get the ball to no matter what the coverage is? You just get it in his way. They don't exist on this roster. And I don't want to crap on this roster too much because they are still out there putting a lot of work in, trying to get better. But this roster, it's, it's better than 0-3. But it's not, oh, we should have been eight or nine wins. I mean, Vegas was right around the number, five and five. And that's why all of us were over, but barely over. It wasn't like we were saying a slam dunk. So I just think this is a, again, a foundational year for Mike Norvell that has taken some hits to that foundation. Now he's got to make sure he doesn't come crumbling down on him. So, I mean, I thought four to seven wins was the appropriate range for this team. Um, Now they're down four offensive linemen. I think they'll win two games, right? Like we, we said it in the preseason, we said it on Lockspot. Hey, check who's warming up. If Robert Scott doesn't play, if, if if Smith doesn't play the center, bet Wake on the alternate line. It won't be close. Wake, Wake minus 10.5 plus 200. Easy money. Robert Scott didn't warm up. Smith didn't warm up. Kenny Dillingham today tried to take, I think, a lot of the blame. It was like, eh, you know, they, they ran a lot more man coverage than zone coverage. In the, that's the, you know, the OC in the press conference. And I'm like, well, I think he's trying to take some of the blame here and not just say what the truth is, which is that FSU with these backup linemen, they can't block Wake Forest. If you can't block Wake Forest, there's a lot of other teams that league they can't block. They will not win an ACC game if they don't get those guys back, period. Like, it'll be a two- or three-win season if they don't get those dudes back. Now, one got kicked, uh, quit the team. One, um, you know, has a broken leg, so he's not going to come back this year. The center has what, a back issue, I believe, and the uh, right tackle has an ankle issue. They actually kind of like the starters. Wedding. Yeah, <laughs> right. And one's playing his wedding. Yeah. Um, th- that guy actually had to play a lot this weekend. They had to use four different O-line combos in the game because the uh, the backup center also went down. Dillingham, the one thing he did say, though, and he's trying not to, not to blame the players, he's like, look, they asked him, why don't you run the ball more? And he just said, uh, well, we really couldn't block him. The only time we had run success was when they miskeyed us on some of those tosses. Miskeyed means like the defense screwed up, right? And they, they, they blew an assignment. This is definitely a personnel issue. Now, defense. The other thing he said, which was interesting to me, is he's like they played a lot more man coverage than than I expected they would play because they're typically a pretty heavy, you know, quarters and three team. Well, guess what? They probably looked and said, "Man, these FSU receivers suck. We can play man all day and and put a spy on Travis when he's in there, and they won't get open." They tried to take a bunch of transfers to put a band aid on this thing as a bridge thing. The reason why you take twelve transfers is because you look at the roster and you say this roster kind of sucks. Right. Otherwise, you don't take 12 transfers. That's what they did. I think that was something to read into there. Now, I actually think they could have gone bowling if they didn't get everybody hurt, but and also didn't blow the Jack State game, which I do put on Norvell and company. Um, but ultimately, if they don't get those guys back, they're not going to block anybody and they will win two or three games, period. Like it's not an, like physically they cannot hold up with these reserves. There's really not an option there. Um, that's just kind of the hard truth of it. Recruiting, I'm shocked how well this class is sticking together. But they seem to be pretty tight. They have a lot of like really established relationships there. We'll see. Did you see there? Are- again, I'll tell you guys, if Robert Scott and Smith do not play this weekend against Louisville, <laughs> screw the minus two and a half, bet That's- the minus 10 and a half at plus 300. Like, Listen, and I'll don't tell have you guys all, you can play. I'll tell you all the same thing. That I told I'm on the group you- text too. No, no, listen, listen. I, 
You don't want that in your life. I told people, we, we've got cover three listeners that I've been running into in person around Raleigh. And uh, I told my man, he was like, no, listen, Norvell's coaching for his job. You got to take the Knowles. And I said, dude, you don't want that in your life. You don't want to have a ticket on this game. It's hard enough for my friends who have emotional investment in Florida State Wake Forest. You don't need it. You don't need to add that to your day. Oh, I wanted some tickets on this game and got them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, the uh, some other uh, upon further review, we didn't get much of a chance to talk about uh, on the on the reaction pod. We didn't go real deep on USC, but it was a fascinating turn for, in a, in a moment. It might end up being only a moment. It might end up being only a week. But for this USC football program, Clay Clay Helton fired on a Monday. Dante Williams promoted to interim. They're going to Washington State. It is, uh, it is looking bad. They, the description, you know, you're seeing it come across from the reporters at the game. They say USC looks lifeless on both sides of the ball. Looked like they didn't come out with any kind of fire. Washington State leads 14 to seven at halftime of that game. Uh, Keen Slovis gets a little bit banged up. Jackson Dart comes in, and Jackson Dart had an absolutely tremendous game leading the second half comeback. Did throw two picks, but he also had four touchdowns to go with 391 yards. It's also another blown lead for Nick Rolovich, and that pile is starting to get large, even for a coach with a small sample size at Washington State. But for USC, um, you know, it seemed like there was a lot of emotion and a lot of positivity. Things flipped, if only for one game or one day. What do you make of Jackson Dart's performance? And all of a sudden, do you think that Dante Williams can do what interim coaches have done before at USC, which is be able to guide um, guide this team at least to a safe landing? Does that make sense? Like, I don't know what their ceiling is, but I think a safe landing is more possible than the bottom falling out than I necessarily thought after the Stanford game. I don't know if you're mentioning safe landing on purpose or not, but I'm just thinking of that photo <laughs> of USC's <laughs> playing on the tarmac on Saturday that was tilted backwards. Um, I mean, I think if you're USC and you're a USC fan, obviously winning 45 to 14 on the road after firing your coach, it's like, awesome, great. Jackson Dart threw for 391 yards, four touchdowns. He has awesome eye black. Like I said on the reaction show the other night, that's awesome. USC's back. He looks, they look really cool. But I'm not going to get over the top excited about it because, A, you mentioned it. I, I think Washington State's just a very bad football team. I don't expect much of the Cougars. So, like, yeah, you should be beating them by 31 your USC. And, B, USC couldn't run the ball at all in that game. If you go back and look at the stats, they averaged 1.9 yards per carry against Wazoo. And part of the critique we've had over USC under Clay Helton is that they're not a physical football team. And for USC, the way that it's able to recruit and the way it should be able to play, it should be able to beat people up. It doesn't. It's too much finesse, not enough kind of power and strength when you need it. And until they start showing signs of being able to do that, I think that this is still a team that could win the Pac-12 South. I think it's still a team that could win eight, nine games maybe. But it's not going to be anything special, no matter who they have. You know, no matter how inspiring the interim coach is going forward, if if they can't run the ball and push people around, they're going to be the same USC they were under Clay Helton. It's just a question of the only exciting story is going to be, well, who are we going to hire to replace them? As somebody with a UCLA ten to one ticket in the Pac-12 South, I really sincerely hope they keep playing Slovis. <laughs> Jackson Dart, from a physical standpoint, is light years better than Slovis. If he's already looking this good, you know, from a mental like processing standpoint, like, I didn't get to see him in person as a recruit, but his recruiting film was nasty, and physically he's he's got the goods. His production at the high school level was also off the charts. He was somebody we rocketed up the rankings pretty you know pretty late in the cycle as he just absolutely tore it up as a senior. Um, yeah, I <laughs> I really hope USC sticks with Slovis. I think Jackson Dart is the goods. He's got cool eye black. I mean, Aren't you just like, what do you, if you're Dot Dad's, the eye black was kind of cool. The Dante <laughs> Williams deal, like, aren't you kind of like, man, if all the stuff hadn't have happened before with interim coaches and keeping them around, like, you're kind of just, I mean, every, it's stating the obvious, you're the lame duck, but what if he does rattle off some impressive wins? What if they're 10 and two? You know, oh, what if they you pull off an upset? I think he is given the opportunity to be retained by the next hire. 
because of his role in recruiting, even with a full staff. And especially, I think his him being promoted is looking towards trying to make sure that you can keep the class together as much as possible for the early signing day. And that's where if the new coach is announced in like December 4th or December 5th, I bet that there is some incentive provided to be able to keep him around so that you can try to keep that signing class together. Hmm. But yeah, do you I think have- there's a realistic chance that Jackson Dart does play over Keaton Slovis? That's a tough call to I, make. I would play him over. Yeah. I'm just not a big Slovis guy. I think, um, too, like with with Helton being gone and a new guy in charge, it's it's a fresh start for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> like Helton might have felt some affinity or some loyalty to Slovis, but that doesn't mean this new staff has to. <laughs> we should also point out that Washington State is is a smoking crater right now, right? If if Rolovich's buyout isn't what it was, uh, there's been like nothing good going on there. The recruiting is not looking good. That that um, I'm not saying he's going to be hot seated this year because I think there's financial concerns there as far as the buyout, but like I don't think that ends well there. Uh, I do want to see Dart against some better teams. <laughs> Obviously, that the sample set of three quarters is really not. Uh, not appropriate to make that judgment on. But physically, I don't think there's any doubt he's a better player. You know, he's a more talented player, not better, uh, than Slovis is. What are um, Jackson Dart's Heisman odds right now? Let's take them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, open Jim, upon further review, what are some of the lingering uh, notes that you are carrying with you moving forward into week four and beyond? Bama not being very physical. I know we mentioned a little bit earlier in the show, but uh, Bama on the edge, not very good uh, right now. Not 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 set in the edge. Backers were. Uh, I don't think they're used to having blockers come out to them. <laughs> Bama usually gobbles those guys up, and and your backers typically run free. Uh, but even then, they did not physically take on blocks very well. They they were kind of bullied a little bit, and so that that's something that's got to make Nick Saban a, a defensive coach. Pretty furious. Um, you know, Auburn passing game, just not effective enough to, to go on the road and, and win big-time games. Their run blocking looked better than it has in recent yeah. years. I'll give mm-hmm. them that. Um, what else here? UVA's run defense. Oh, my God. Chip. Uh, I did not anticipate that. How many? 392 rushing yards, 198 of them coming from Ty Chandler. 13 rushes of 10 plus yards for UNC. <laughs> yeah. Um, and look, UVA put up a good, good chunk of points too, but being able to um, get a little bit of push on the, on the offensive, like Sam Howell is a huge part of this run game too. I mean, this is the second straight game that he's gone for 80, 90 yards uh, rushing. I think that what Danny said earlier is true. That they have a loss against a division opponent but if Virginia Tech starts to, and Virginia Tech also hasn't lost a conference game, so it Virginia Tech is still technically in the driver's seat. But I think that what you saw from North Carolina against Virginia, especially the way that that team responded going down, they blew the lead in the second quarter, end up down 28 24 at halftime, uh, outscored Virginia significantly the rest of the way on the way to a 20 point win. So I think that plus 24 second half margin was something that. I heard Josh Downs talking about it. I heard uh, Jeremiah Gimmel, the senior linebacker, talking about it. I think that in that locker room, they said, okay, how good are we? And it was the how good are we moment. You like the way that they responded. Uh, I do think that North Carolina, you come out of it with a little bit more positivity that this is, in fact, it ain't one of, it ain't one of the 10 best teams in the country, but you come out with confidence. This is probably one of the 20 best teams in the country. Um, tackling in the state of Florida. Not really a strength, I would say. UCF didn't tackle worth a damn starting on Friday night. Florida wins that game if their linebackers and safeties tackle somebody. It's not like Bama hit hit them over the top over and over and over again with just wide open guys deep, right? They they hit some short intermediate stuff and broke some tackles and, and turned what should have been an eight-yard pass into a 30- or 40-yard pass. And several times down there in the red zone, like, what did Bama score on? They just flipped it out to the back, and McClellan just juked somebody out of their shoes. He wasn't even touched. I mean, it was it was not close. So tackling there, um, I don't know, Florida State in the fourth quarter tackled poorly. Other than that, it was mainly just the offense turning it over six times, <laughs> uh, which can be problematic. Uh, Miami 
didn't tackle worth a damn. This is something we pointed out in, in the locks pod as well. Hey, Keontre Smith being out is bad. Miami already didn't like their linebackers. Keontre Smith being out for them is uh, is real problematic. But tackling in the state of Florida right now is uh, is is not great. It wasn't Jake as, Hayner as hot. is a god. Yes. Yes. Did I don't know? Did, were is. you guys up watching that on Saturday? Hell yeah! Absolutely. You know I'm there. Well, gutsiest performance of the year. That yeah. was like that was like movie kind of like you know you you watch a football movie and it's like they they always overplay like oh he's hurt he's playing through that was what Jake Hader was doing out there that was amazing and you think back to the first game of the season against UConn when they're playing like 150 degree temperatures and he's having full body cramps and has to leave the game and then he's playing on Saturday night and beating UCLA on the road in the Rose Bowl with like a broken hip for all I could tell of the way he was after he got crunched by two dudes at one time. I want a Jake Hayner jersey. Yes. Fresno, if you're listening, help me take help me help me help that help me help that happen. <laughs> Which I teams get can throw of- on UCLA like like Fresno did. Because UCLA secondary kind of got exposed here too. Jackson right. Dart, maybe. Yeah. But that's my concern. Yeah. yeah. I <laughs> I don't know. I don't think Utah can. I don't maybe Arizona State on a good day. I'm not all that optimistic. Colorado can't. Arizona can't. Arizona State, I'm not buying. No. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> Do you think I want to get out? Be a Washington fan right now. Oh. You're watching Jake Hader, who, who transferred to Fresno from Washington. You're watching him ball out in the Rose Bowl on a Saturday night, beating UCLA. And, I mean, no offense to Dylan Morris. He's, he's a freshman. He's young. He's got plenty of time to grow. But right now, he's completing like 57% of his passes, seven yards attempt, four touchdowns, five interceptions. And you're watching Jake Hader put up, let's see, through four games, he's got 1,464 yards, completing 74% of his passes, 10 yards per attempt, 10 touchdowns, one interception. And Tommy forgot the other Jake, Jacob Sermon. Washington yes. transfer is not playing all that poorly at uh, at Central Michigan. <sighs> can, can I get it out in front of something? Yes. Yeah. Because when we were doing the uh, the show on HQ before, I said if BYU went three and zero to start the season, I was going to personally start the campaign that they should represent. They should play the Pac-12 South. They're the division winner of the Pac-12 South. But looking at the schedule, they have a real opportunity before them to kind of rattle, like to to. And when we look at Cincinnati, we're like, yeah, you know, they play two Power Five teams. You know, Indiana, you got to have Indiana be better. BYU with what they've done already and beating Utah and Arizona State. Arizona's kind of one no one thought that was going to happen. They still have Boise State on their schedule. They still have Baylor on their schedule from the Big 12. They have Washington State. They have Virginia. And then they finish off the season. I don't think it's crazy to think they could be undefeated with the road game against USC, the last game of the year, which would you talk about putting your stamp on a resume? I don't think it's that crazy to think that could happen. I do. With From what we've seen with some of these teams, who's going to get them? Virginia? I think Bronco they'll lose Mendenhall two. Bowl, the Bronco I, Bowl. I think they'll lose two to three games. I think they, they finish probably will. And two. This is a BYU team because the reason I had that Alabama stat earlier about just like a surprising team to find outside the top 50 in yards per play offense and yards per play defense, BYU's outside the top 80. Like it's, it's one of these teams that has like you do give the Cougars so much credit for being able to f- like figure out ways to win games. You get. Um, you know, high leverage moments of the games. You're the one that come out on top. Like that is something that we do want to see out of good teams, but it's also having me, uh, I'm getting a disconnect from jumping on the story of what this BYU team has done, beating three straight Pac-12 South opponents after we spent all off season saying like, all right, BYU, you wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wait until you have to start playing all these power conference teams. Then, then you're not going to look like such a darling I think that it is, uh, it's been a great start to the season, and I think that BYU is better than I thought, but I still think this is like a, you know, a top 30, top 40 kind of team so far that's probably going to finish nine and three. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. I mean, I, they've, they're well coached, they play physical, and they're a good football team. I don't think they're the 15th best team in the country or wherever they're ranked right now, but they deserve to be there based on what they've done so far. But I mean, if we look at it, like I've talked about it, they beat Arizona. I think Arizona's terrible. 
They beat Utah, which seemed impressive at the time, but then Utah went and lost to San Diego State. So now I'm kind of questioning how good Utah is. And Arizona State, I've always felt, is like a 7-5 and five team anyway. So I think that BYU's gone out. It's beaten the teams it's supposed to beat. I think it's capable of beating a lot of those teams that you've got, you mentioned are still on its schedule. But I still, when I watch that team play, there's, there's, it's hard for me to think they're getting to 10 wins. I agree with that. Um, you mentioned Utah, by the way. They finally benched Brewer. Yeah. And, and spring and game was play. very long ago. Yeah. That's they, 15 to 15, a spring game. <laughs> is it rising? Every day it's Cameron yeah. Rising, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's Cam Rising who was, um, through three he, touchdowns he after signed, the end of the he was game. an Oklahoma kid or a Texas kid. I'm trying to remember where was he. At? I, think I think he was he Texas. Yeah, see. he was an OU legacy who signed with Texas. Um, he he's got some talent. Like it, it's not like they're going to somebody who has has no arm or anything. Like like he he played pretty damn well for them in the final what 10, 15 minutes of that game and, and led them back to overtime because Utah was pretty cooked before that. Mm-hmm. And uh, like may, maybe they'll <clears throat> maybe they'll turn that around. You know, we'll see. BYU was outgained by Arizona State by a full yard per play at home. That's not really a great sign there. Um, You know, passing-wise, 50%. That's not great. Uh, I'm not saying they're smoke and mirrors. They're a lot better than I thought they were. I don't think there's a serious risk they go undefeated. What about uh, for Cincinnati? Well, um, Indiana just keeps disappointing me. Like I was doubting them. I just didn't think they'd be this bad. Are, are they in Miss Bowl territory? Nah, they played great though. Like and, and Michael Penix just kept doing Michael Penix things. Like he's not good. It was just teasing. He was dealing the first half, like just dropping dimes, like pressure on him, just flipping it out there. And then he just kind of regressed to the mean. Like you saw what Michael Penix really is. He's a highly volatile quarterback. Last year it didn't burn him. This year it did. You know, it has so far. I, I do think that if Cincinnati's able to get by Notre Dame, I still think that based on what I've seen from Cincinnati and from other teams in the AAC, I still think UCF can get them. I think Tulane can get oh, them at home. Tom, I think, yeah. you think UCF can get them without Dylan Gabriel? Because they play UCF. Oh, God, that's right. October I just remembered that. Uh, no, I don't think they can. Well, I mean, let's see who the back is. It's in Cincy. Yeah, I want. I want. I'll see. I got to see the backup before I make that proclamation. But I mean, I think SMU is a team that could beat Cincinnati. They've played really well. I think at the end of the year, we saw ECU beat Marshall this weekend, and that's a team I think that most of us were kind of like, like looking at as a team on the rise coming into this year. That's a team that by the end of the season could be pretty good. So I, I think Cincinnati's the best team in the American, but I don't think the gap between them and everybody else in that conference is as wide as the rankings suggest. I think what's going to really hurt Cincy is, I mean, I, n- now, look, UCF lo- losing to Louisville, UCF will probably lose at least one or two more games if if Gabriel's out for a while in addition to Cincy. So that's like an 8-4 and four team. Probably mm-hmm. that's not a ranked opponent. UCF at 8-4 and four is not getting ranked. Indiana, they probably make a bowl, but I don't know. I mean, I think Western Kentucky will throw all over them this weekend, uh, w- w- given what we saw Ritter do to that secondary Navy has looked terrible. USF looks terrible. Um, I mean, there's the schedule looks much easier than it did in the preseason. So I don't think the committee is going to look fondly upon that. Is it Joey Gatewood time for UCF? Apparently not. I think they're still going to use Gatewood as like the battering ram gimmick uh, guy. Well, Gus Malzahn does love himself some putt putt. (laughs) (laughs) Great to see that uh, he's got uh, an option there. I, I look at Cincinnati two ways. Number one, you got off to an awful start, played really, really poorly, and yet you still won by two touchdowns. I think that's something that you want to see out of teams when they go lay an egg on the road. They don't let the game get out of hand. They find ways to get back in it. I also think that Indiana gift-wrapped a whole bunch of points for the team that has benefited from points off turnovers uh, also provided many, many points off turnovers in just a gift bag. Thanks for coming. Uh, you know, here's your little gift card uh, at the door kind of situation. So I'm, I'm wary of Cincinnati's ability to win at Notre Dame. And I think that that's where I'm going to stop my judgment so far, because if they do win, then I'll start. I'll sort of recalibrate it, but 
but I kind of think that they're going to lose to the Fighting Irish, and that's going to be it for our Cincinnati playoff push. Yeah, well, <laughs> there's no playoff push, guys. Coastal, Coastal Carolina, no playoff push. No. At bottom of the Sun Belt's bad. Upon further review, we're really excited about like Coastal Carolina and App State. Louisiana hasn't quite lived up to expectations, depending on where your expectations were, but Louisiana is still probably the third best team in that conference. And boy, it starts to take a drop off after that. <laughs> yeah. And strength of schedule metrics are not going to be kind to Coastal Carolina. When they sit down there and they start running, they start getting fed strength of schedule, strength of record, all those things. Uh, the Chanticleers are going to find themselves, even with as bad as the bottom of the American is, um, I think they're going to find themselves at a big-time disadvantage to uh, a Cincinnati or a BYU when we're looking for those other spots. All right, what about week four storylines? What has your attention? Um, you know, we've got Wisconsin against Notre Dame in Soldier Field is one of the biggest games of the weekend. You know, we got that uh, Texas A&M-Arkansas game that Bud mentioned earlier. Uh, what, what really has your attention as we, uh, as we turn the page from week three to week four? Well, I'll, I'll, the Notre Dame-Wisconsin game, because I, I think that that is that's going to be a game that tells me a lot about both teams because Wisconsin has already got the loss to Penn state and it, you know, it completely bullied the hell out of Eastern Michigan, but still that is an offense that with Graham Mertz, he has not come close to living up to what he looked like in that very first time we saw him against Illinois. He has struggled. There's really no explosiveness to their passing game whatsoever. And this is going to be another tough defense that he's facing, kind of like he faced with Penn State. I want to see if that Wisconsin offense can finally do something against a good team. And then on the other side, Notre Dame has been kind of putzing around in all of its games with Florida State, with Toledo last week at Purdue. I want to see if Notre Dame has an actual like extra gear, the kind of gear that we saw helped get it to the playoff two of the last three years, because so far this season, I'm yet to see it. Jack Cohn, I thought, played great in that game against Florida State. He's gone backwards since. And for him, this is like, you know, the Jack Cohn revenge game against Wisconsin. So I'm really interested in seeing that. So I think for me, that is what, as far as that game is concerned, that's what I'm looking to. I'm interested in Baylor, Iowa State. I think that'll be pretty ugly. Um, you know, Baylor, I don't trust their offense still. Iowa State run defense, pretty damn good. Uh, that that will be that'll be kind of fun to watch. Um, we already talked a little bit about Texas A&M and Arkansas. Kentucky is only five and a half at South Carolina. Curious <laughs> line. A lot of a lot of folks seem to think Kentucky's a lock there. I I don't. Uh, but oh, so you don't think that's a short line? You think that's a fair line? Uh, it's not something I'm rushing to bet Kentucky on. I'm not looking to go take South Carolina, uh, but uh, I've just been a doubter of Kentucky's defense for a while here. So well, he um, I didn't really see anything in their near escape against Chattanooga over the weekend that would indicate uh, one that got bet down like crazy. Clemson opened like 12 and a half. Mm -hmm. I was waiting for a 14. I didn't get a 14. I had to scramble to grab an 11 and a half on NC State. That's down to like nine. Yeah, that's what I was about to ask. I was going to say, that seems like a game that will be very much up our alley as far as our interests, considering everything we've talked about with Clemson already, and then NC State just being one of those teams that we've been kind of like closing it. That That's a really interesting game on Saturday afternoon. Oh, NC State can win. Yeah. yeah. NC State can absolutely win, and it would be the biggest win in eight or nine years of Dave Doran being the head coach there. And it won't matter. Clemson could go eight and four in 2021. But if Clemson, if NC State beats Clemson, I mean, do you remember when NC State had like a 32 yard field goal and missed? It was a game winner, but then it went to overtime and Clemson ended up winning in overtime. And then I think the next year, NC State got off to a little bit of an early first half lead, and then Clemson just hit the gas and was able to to hold hold off NC State late. I might have the game flow of that one, but those two games in back to back seasons, I believe it's fifteen and sixteen. Um, that was the closest that it, the Wolfpack got to being able to uh, to nab their division rivals. I I love that game. I absolutely 
am fascinated by that game because one of the things that NC State does really, really well is uh, being able to establish an advantage with their offensive line. They were not able to do that against Mississippi State, at least not with any kind of consistency. Clemson's defense is much better than Mississippi State. Not much better, but Clemson's defense is better than Mississippi State's defense. I just don't know if Clemson's offense is going to be able to fix this thing right away against an NC State defense that is missing a couple of its best players from when we were really high on them, Peyton Wilson being one of them at the linebacker position. But I don't know, man. They're, I don't think that they're going to get blown out. I don't think that they're going to get blown off the ball at the point of attack against the Clemson offensive line that, as we mentioned, is right now only playing about five guys and, uh, and trying to do their best to put it together with duct tape other than that. So can we call this the cover three game of the week, NC State hosting Clemson? Is it? Is yeah. it really the cover three game of the week, though? I need to do a little bit more digging just to see if there's not any anything more like on the sicko landscape. I mean, if we're a Georgia pod and we also like Fandy, that kind of has to also get consideration. <laughs> That's no, no. It's it's a podcast divided. Um. That's, we bled out in locks. We've got to do better. Oh, yeah. Well, we had, Bud, <laughs> Bud and I had winning weeks. Bud and I rallied late. Okay. Did I just finish with one? You Is and Danny. It? Honestly, Bud and I, we were talking, you know, by ourselves off air. We, we're wondering if we need to cut you and Danny from the locks <laughs> pod. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Um, do you want do you want to provide a full plethora of picks? <laughs> some will be winners, some will be losers. That is really empowering our audience to go and uh, and take things into their own hands. Mm-hmm. I got one for you. Um, right. A game that I'm not betting yet. I've been like the Michigan State guy on the pod. I you know did the clip. They're they're gonna go to a bowl game, I think, and bet them against Miami and bet them against you know uh, Northwestern. I'm not so sure that they're a lock to beat Nebraska. Oh, Nebraska is not that bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, that to me was more about Michigan state being reasonably competent and Miami just looking like a mess. Yeah. See, Chip, we were having that conversation late Saturday and we were talking about if I thought Purdue was better than Nebraska. That's part of the reason why I, I think Nebraska is better than like I, the Illinois loss is obviously a terrible way to start the season as far as the narrative is concerned. But I think, I think Nebraska is a better football team than we've seen in recent years also why why can't illinois beat nebraska this or uh beat purdue this weekend it can i think so too david Bell currently in concussion protocol so especially if they go for it on fourth and short in the opponent territory late in the game while holding a touchdown lead speaking of michigan state michigan state went for it on fourth and one at the 40 scored a touchdown helped put the game away illinois punted lost you would think being around belichick uh would um I just don't think Bielema has got a whole lot of confidence in his offensive line right now. Two games that I'm just kind of waiting on a number that I think are going to absolutely shoot out, shoot out. Uh, Wake UVA might shoot out. And I think Kent State, Maryland is sneaky going to be a shootout. The line keeps dropping a little bit. Think about who Maryland's played so far. Oh, no, 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 no. Just get a total play. Don't you get Kent State. Don't do that. No, I'm not. I already bet Maryland. What I'm saying is like, I, I think this has potential to have like 75 points scored in it. I agree. Maryland wants to finally get out and run. They've played they played Illinois and I or uh um West Maryland Virginia. Played? Right. Like two they two teams are not gonna let you play super wide open. Kent State has literally played AM and Iowa, two teams that definitely are not gonna let you get out and run. <laughs> this, this is like, you know, okay, team in the yeah. Um uh, anyway, that could that could shoot it out. I'm excited to actually watch that. Sicko. Love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Are we playing uh, poll v. poll? Some of the people in the comment section said we promised him poll v. poll. I don't even look at the polls. so actually. There's uh, there's not a ton of um, discrepancy this week. Not like there was when six of the tw- top 12 teams were all two spots apart. They're a little bit more in sync this time. You know, just, we try to hit... Sharing like, notes. Yeah, yeah, we we try try to hit a, a good storyline from the rankings today. It was that three teams who we considered among the best in the country and have been for the college football playoff era won and dropped. Confidence dropping in Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. Our thanks to all of you 
who tuned in live at youtube.com slash cover three. Remember that you can always find the cover three podcast wherever you get your podcast or watch them again at youtube.com slash cover three. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott three. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.